anyone go anywhere exotic this summer? Now, it depends what you think exotic is, but did anyone go? Yes, Joe? Jo? Poland. Okay. Uh, yeah, anywhere else? Anywhere, anywhere else exotic? Oh dear, guys, come on, you've got to see the world. Um, you caught your flight back okay? Brilliant. Um, I, I've kind of built up a bit of a reputation in my site for missing flights. I've, I've missed quite a few now. The biggest one was um, on my honeymoon. Um, we were in Kenya and we were just so in love that we missed our flight home uh, by a whole day. That's embarrassing, isn't it? Not just a few hours. We got the day completely wrong. Um, so, yeah, I do have this bit of a reputation. And um, I've just been, come back from London, and I thought, this time I'm definitely not going to fly down to London because I don't want to miss my flight back and be, be really embarrassing because everyone's already mocking me. Um, so I got the train. Anyone ever got the train from London to Aberdeen? Yes. It's a long journey, isn't it? But do you know what? I was really looking forward to this train journey. I had it all planned out. I would do a little bit of work because I was preaching the next day. And then I would, um, I had a couple of movies downloaded. I had a book. I had a magazine. I had a bag of food from Pret-a-Manger. Very, very nice. And I was really looking forward to it because when else does a busy working mum get seven hours of uninterrupted peace and quiet to do what she wants to do. It ended up being eight hours because we kept being delayed because of broken down train in front of us. Um, but the problem was that my plan didn't quite go to plan. That morning when I woke up, I prayed a prayer. It's a prayer that I pray most days and that I would recommend that you pray. And I said to God, God, this day belongs to you. Is there someone you want me to meet today? Great prayer to pray. Please do pray it. Um, but I have to admit that on this day, I really wish I hadn't prayed that prayer. It seemed like I ended up sitting next to the only person on the train who wanted to chat for the whole journey. And uh, I, I would be just about to put my headphones in and she would start a conversation. Put my headphones down. Every time I went to put my headphones in, open my book, she would start a conversation. Till eventually I just put my headphones away. I closed my book and I realized that she was the one that I had prayed for and that we had the next seven hours together. Actually, it turned out to be eight this was a woman whose husband had recently died. And she was really lonely. This was a woman whose physical health was deteriorating. And she was anxious about who was going to care for her as she got older. This was a woman who felt that she wasn't really needed anymore because her grandchildren had grown up and moved away. She felt a bit useless. She was feeling lonely, she was feeling anxious, and she was feeling useless. And this was also a woman who said, who had never given God much thought in her life. If he did exist, then he wasn't someone that she needed or wanted in her life. She was just fine without him. In fact, of the Christians that she knew, 
she didn't see any difference in their life and her, between her life and theirs. So why bother with God? I don't know how that makes you feel, but it made me feel deeply sad and frustrated and a little bit angry, not at her, but just angry that this woman had grown indifferent towards God because she saw nothing in the Christians around her, in their life, um, that was any different from hers. No one had demonstrated to her God's love in such a way that it drew her towards him. They offered no solution to her loneliness, to her anxiety, to her feelings of uselessness. Their lives looked the same as hers. That's really sad, isn't it? The problem with that is it's not how it's meant to be. As Holy Spirit filled, Jesus following, Jesus loving people, our lives are meant to look completely different from everyone else's. We're meant to stand out. We are meant to um, be set apart and look different. We are representatives of Jesus. We are his ambassadors. And what did Jesus do? Jesus loved people unconditionally. Jesus set the lonely in families. Jesus healed people on the inside and the outside. He brought hope to hopeless situations and he, he gave people faith to believe in impossible situations. What Jesus did was carry the kingdom of God wherever he went, and it always, always had impact in people's lives. And this is what he calls us to do. We're supposed to continue what he started. We're supposed to bring solution and possibility and hope where others can't see a way forward. You know, when we became Christians, we became citizens of heaven. We became filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. We are supposed to add a new dimension to life. The kingdom of God, the spiritual dimension to life. As we carry his kingdom of the kingdom, uh, when we carry the kingdom of God around with us, we bring a new perspective. We bring God's perspective. We bring God's tr truth. We're not supposed to look like everyone else around us. And when I was a teenager... Um, I did that thing that I think, I mean, pretty much I think most women do, um, I'm not sure about men, you can let me know, um, is in order that you don't forget anything when you go swimming, you put your swimming costume on underneath your clothes. Does anyone else do that or is it just me? Any men? Yes? Brilliant. So it's a thing, it's a thing. You put your swimming costume under and then you put all your clothes on top so you don't forget anything. Well, one of the times I went swimming, um, I, I went out from the changing rooms into the pool. And I felt people looking at me. I felt them staring at me like, you know, and I'm like, what's going on? So I get in the pool. And then I realize that I left my knickers on. <laughs> yes, I did. I left my knickers on, on top of my swimming costume and went out into the swimming pool. I know, it's embarrassing. We're supposed to look different from everyone else. <laughs> for the right reasons. For the right reasons. Listen, don't we want to be people who live in such a way that others are drawn to Jesus? Not turned off him. 
not indifferent towards him, but that look at our lives and say, I like that. I want that. I had no idea it was like that. I had no idea that Jesus was like that. I had no idea that God loved me so deeply. I didn't know that I could be set free from my past mistakes. This is amazing. I want to follow Jesus. And we begin to see the barriers that people have built up come smashing down. And that's the kind of Christianity I want to pursue. The Bible calls these barriers strongholds. Things that have a stronghold on people's hearts and on their minds. Beliefs that keep people from a relationship with God, like the woman on the train. The Bible says strongholds are like fortresses. They are well defended, difficult to attack, not easily overthrown, but, everyone say but, God knows the nature of these fortresses and he gives us the means to demolish them. The question is how? So this morning we're going to read from the Bible um, in a book called Second Corinthians, which is a letter written by a man called Paul who started this church. In, um, he's writing to them and uh, giving them some um, help in this area. So we're just going to pick it up in chapter 10. We're only going to read a few verses. It's going to come up on the screen. If not, uh, if you would love to read it in the Bible here, you can have one. Does anyone want it? I'm going to throw it. No, I won't. But if anyone needs one, um, there's one there. And if you don't have a Bible, please do take one of these as a gift from us. We'd love you to do that. Right, let's read. Um, there we go. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Everyone say divine power. To, de to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The truth is, uh, not yet, <laughs> just leave it on this scripture, please. And um, the truth is that people set themselves up against God for lots and lots of different reasons. Maybe you know some people in your world and th there's a barrier there between them and God. Sometimes it's pride. I don't need God. Sometimes they've had a poor experience with a Christian or with a church. Maybe they've determined never to go near church because... Um, they felt judged in the past. Or maybe they're avoiding church because they look at the history of the church and some of the terrible things that have happened in the name of God. And they don't want anything to do with him. The barriers have gone up and they look impossible to bring down. But it sounds like to me that Paul is saying here that we can do something about this. We can bring God's kingdom into the world and into people's lives in a way that tears down the barriers, that reshapes how people think about God and Christianity. And listen, it's not by debating, it's not by arguing and having clever answers and philosophies. You don't need a theological degree. You have to remember that Paul um, 
started this church in a place where the heroes of the day were the Greek philosophers. They really valued human wisdom, thinking, pondering, new philosophies. They, um, they just loved to, to come up with new things all the time, and they would argue and debate. And Paul says, that's not how we win people's hearts. We go about things differently, and we use a different kind of weapon. We use different weapons to fight our battles. And he says that the weapons that we have have divine power. Everyone say divine power, not our own willpower. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now that word power in the Greek, we get our word dynamite from. That means this is explosive power. This has power to demolish. Very, very effective in destroying the barriers that people have erected against God. So what are they? Well, Paul doesn't tell us. That's very helpful, isn't it? There's nothing there to tell us what the arguments are. The thing is, sometimes in the Bible, when a writer writes some things, they assume that we know something because it is meant to be the way it's meant to be. And he would have written other letters, and it's elsewhere in the Bible that we find what these weapons are. Um, so, but before we kind of touch on the weapons, I know you're all desperate to know what they are, aren't you? Because you want to know how to live this kind of life. Let's just have a look right back at verse um, three, the first line there. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Okay, so we live in the world, don't we? We know we do. We can see each other. We're definitely here. We're surrounded by hills and mountains and rivers. The world is beautiful. We feel the rain and the sun, sometimes, and the wind, and we share the world with billions of other people, and it can be wonderful, but it can also be painful. We're surrounded by people, and all our problems, and suffering, and evil. Sometimes I think, don't you think it would be a whole lot easier if all the Christians, if we could just hide away with other Christians if we could just take ourselves off and live a holy life with no influence from the outside world, no temptations. All the Christians, we could all just stay together and stay holy and pure and not worry about the problems of the world. But that's not the Jesus way. Jesus prayed for his disciples and said this to God. The next slide. My prayer this is Jesus praying to his Father God. My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus is reminding us here that we very much live in this world, and that includes all of the stuff that goes with it. The sufferings, the pain, the heartache, the emotional stuff, the physical stuff. But Jesus lived right smack bang in the middle of life. And that's where we should live too. Jesus didn't hide away in an attempt to retain his purity and holiness. He retained his purity and holiness out there. Jesus said, uh, sorry, he didn't stay behind locked doors, 
hoping that he wouldn't be influenced by society. Instead, he was out there influencing, being the influencer. You know, Jesus knew that he possessed something. He knew that he possessed truth and light, and he was desperate to convey it to the world. And we are to do the same. He says, you are the light of the world. Jesus once said, I am the light of the world. And now he's saying, you are the light of the world. It's like a city on a hill shining for everyone to see. You know, nothing about our Christian life should be hidden. We're not called into private Christianity. I know a couple of people and they, they say, my faith, my Christianity is very private. It's my own thing. It doesn't need to influence anyone else. But I don't think that's the case. Jesus has sent us into the world. We are to be a light shining. I don't think Jesus meant us to live in a Christian bubble from womb to tomb. We are to be in the world, but not acting like the world. We are to be, um, we are in this world, but we are in the kingdom also. I think Jesus says, do you know what? We are the influencers. We are the ones bringing flavor to the world. Jesus says we are the salt. We have to be salt. Do you know salt flavors things? My husband, Mark, he, he gets really frustrated when I put my mint arrow in the cupboard with all the other food because he says that mint arrow flavors everything in that cupboard. I don't think that's true, but this is what he says. He, he says he can taste it. He can feel it on all on his biscuits, on his plain old boring biscuits. We are to be salt. We are to bring flavor. We are to shape culture rather than culture shaping us. You know, when we bring God into our workplace, we are bringing a whole new dimension to that meeting. We're bringing God's creativity. We're bringing God's wisdom. We're bringing his compassion. We bring the spirit of God. What if, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we all realize that being in the world but not being of it wasn't just about hanging on and enduring until the end and just surviving being in this world and, and just striving to follow the rules and be good and, and until Jesus comes again, but that we come alive in knowing that we are sent into the world. We have a mission, we have purpose in that, that we are to display God's kingdom in every way possible. We're living in the world, but not living like the world. And God says, I'm going to give you, and I do give you exactly what you need to do this effectively. And Paul calls them weapons. And we're talking about spiritual weapons. So let's um, quickly look at some of the weapons that he's given us. Elsewhere in the Bible, Paul talks about the weapon of light, and it is truth. Truth is the weapon of light. Now, truth is God's opinion on any matter. If you're struggling to work out what truth is, it's just God's opinion on any matter. When we bring God's truth into a situation, it's like turning on the lights and revealing things as they really are. For the woman on the train, nobody had told her the truth. She hadn't had that light bulb moment where she realized that there was a God in heaven who loved her and she didn't ever have to feel alone or anxious because he promises to never leave or forsake us. I wonder who's on your train. People in situations that you know of, 
that are in desperate need for you to wield your weapon of light, to bring God's perspective, regardless of whether they believe in him or not, you bring a different dimension to their circumstances. The second weapon that Paul talks about is the weapon of love. Now, we have one word for love in our English language, and it's love. That's it. But there's so many different um, other words for love. And the love we're talking about here is the Jesus kind of love. The love that is unconditional, that requires nothing back in return. This is all about demonstrating God's love, not just talking about it. We're pretty good at talking about it, aren't we? This is, this is the hands-on, real practical kind of love. This is the kind of love that goes the extra mile and then another mile when everyone else has stopped or turned back. It's an ongoing, relentless kind of love that smashes barriers like nothing else. When the world says, hate your enemy, get revenge, think about yourself, the Jesus kind of love captures the world's attention and their hearts because it says, love your enemies, forgive, go the extra mile, put others first. It captures the world's hearts. When It baffles them as well. It really baffles them. They don't understand it, but we understand it because we've experienced it first. And when we've experienced it, we're able to give it to others. We can't force the world to love Jesus, can we? But I think we can convince them of his love for them by how we love them, yeah? For that woman on the train, no one had demonstrated that kind of love towards her. You know, maybe you need to wake up tomorrow and say, God, this day belongs to you. Who do you want me to show your love to today? Thirdly, sorry, we have the weapon of righteousness. Earlier in his letter, Paul talks about the weapons of righteousness in his right and his left hand for attack and defense. This is all about holy living. This is about holy living. It's about integrity. It's about smashing down the stronghold of hypocrisy that has tainted Christianity for so long. This is about your friends, your family, your husband, your wife, your children, seeing that what you say is how you live. It's about your life matching up. Chuck us the hoodie here, this lovely hoodie. Does anyone have one of these hoodies? Just me? Oh, you have one? Don't be shy. Anyone else? Yes, another one? I'm quite shy here. You can, you can, you can admit that you've got a hoodie. It's all right. <laughs> Listen. Oh dear, I've got a funny mic on. Fix my hair. You see, it's not enough to wear the hoodie. Anyone can wear a hoodie. It's not about looking the part. It's about what we say and do whilst we're wearing the hoodie. It's about carrying the presence of God wherever we go and depending on it and relying on it and bringing that new dimension into our meetings. In Exodus 33, God promises Moses that his presence will go with him. And Moses says, thank goodness. 
because what else will distinguish me and all your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? People watch us, don't they? They watch us. They watch to see how we live. They're watching to see how we react and respond. They're watching to see how we drive, how we treat our boss. They're curious about the choices that we make, about how we spend our money, about why we don't get drunk at the party or sleep around. And I think people want to see something different in us and they're confused when they don't. God calls us into a holy life, one that puts him on show to the world. But listen, it's not a life of rules and regulations. Righteous living is something that um, comes out naturally in our lives as an overflow of a vibrant, fully alive relationship with Jesus. And this is God's best for his people. And I know, I know lots of you are living this kind of life. I know lots of you are counting the cost and choosing God's way rather than the world's way. And do you know what? Every time you do that, every time you do that, the kingdom of God is released into the earth. There's, I'll tell you a story about a, a lady at our site in, in West. Um, she made a decision last year to never get drunk again when she went out with her friends. She's a fairly young Christian. So she made this decision. It wasn't a legalistic decision. It was a heart and mind um, decision. Uh, it was a longing to be salt and light wherever she went. And I can tell you that God has 100% honored that woman. Every time, every time this person has gone out for a drink since that moment, she has met someone that she doesn't know who's hungry to hear the gospel. No joke. True story. You see, when you're not drunk at the party, you're the one who has eyes to see people. You're the one who has eyes to see the lonely and the hurt. You're alert to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and not the prompting of the wine. When I was a student, I'm just, it's kind of a, a bit of a theme here, but when I was a student, um, I, I was pretty much the only person in my year who wasn't um, a drinker. And most weekends, um, I would be holding back people's hair as they were spewing, bulking, whatever the word is you want to use, um, holding back their hair and getting them into bed. There was one girl um, in my year who allows me to tell this story because she now tells it, um, who did not like me one bit. She really, really did not like me. And I wasn't too keen on her, if I'm honest. Um, but uh, she didn't like me primarily because I was a Christian. And she used to avoid me, but um, I was the one very regularly holding back her hair and getting her into bed. Well, what happened was um, we were teacher, uh, te doing teacher training and we got put on a six-week placement together in Dundee in a flat. We were sharing a flat for six weeks. Two girls, not that keen on each other. She really did not like me. We were sent to Dundee. And um, I really did not speak to her about Jesus much at all. In fact, I don't think at all the whole six weeks. I was a bit scared. Um, and... But just at the end, I was like, oh, I should maybe invite her to church. So I invited her to church, and she came. Couldn't believe it. So she came to church, and she became a Christian. I was like, what's going on here? When she tells her story now, she talks about this weird Christian girl who used to hold back her hair 
who went on placement with her and didn't talk about Jesus, but something about her life um, attracted her to Jesus. And I'm not saying that to, um, you know, have a look at me moment. What I'm saying to you is, don't underestimate the power of living righteously. We can bring a new dimension to the party that is God-honoring and has explosive potential to break down barriers. Think about Daniel in the Bible who refused to compromise even when faced with being thrown into the lion's den. And what happened? He refused to yield to what society was saying, which was to pray to the king. And he said, no, I'm going to pray to God. And what happened was he was saved from the lion's den. And as a result, the king issued a decree that the whole nation should bow before um, the true God, Daniel's God. Don't estimate, don't underestimate the power of living righteously. It's no small thing that when you choose to honor God, he'll honor you and the kingdom of heaven will be released on the earth. Finally, we have the weapon of faith. Faith has lots of definitions, but here's one. Faith is about relying on the direct activity of God in our lives. It's about relying on the activity of God in our lives, and prayer is the request for that activity. So we have the weapon of faith and prayer. You know, people um, around us, they don't know or believe that God is actively involved in our lives, and we are the ones to show them through our belief in the impossible. Things that could only happen if God was involved. We are people of the impossible, aren't we? We have faith in the impossible. God says, nothing is impossible for me. You know, people can't see beyond what's visible, what they can feel and touch. It's all that they have confidence in. But Paul says in chapter 4 that we look at things unseen. There's a whole new dimension of possibilities. And that's the dimension that we bring into our everyday lives and into the lives of those around us. Otherwise, we're just like everyone else. Do you see the uniqueness of our position here? In the world, but not of it. Sent into the world with hope and possibility and good news and solutions that they've never even imagined. And can you imagine what Catalyst Vineyard Church um, Aberdeen Central could look like if each one of you who is a follower of Jesus picked up these weapons, wielded the weapon of light, brought truth, and began to see strongholds demolished in our friends' and families' lives, the things that stop people encountering God. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is as we pick up our weapons. I, I don't know about you, I've misunderstood this for a very long time. When, when he said that, the gates of hell shall not prevail, I've been thinking about the gates of hell coming and attacking. But think about this, they're gates. Gates don't move forward and attack. Gates are stationary. The church will prevail. That's what Jesus says. 
And we are the church. We pick up our weapons. We see the strongholds smashed down. We see the kingdom of God come. He puts these weapons in our hand and they have divine power. Everyone say divine power. That's explosive, dynamite kind of power to break down the gospels. Weapons that are counterculture and that demonstrate the gospel. And people need to feel the gospel, don't they? They need to and experience it and taste it. And our lives are about demonstrating that. About demonstrating God's radical love. Not forcing, not debating, not manipulating. Just convincing people by the way we live. So that when we do get the chance to speak to them, they've felt it. They've seen it. They've tasted it. They've already seen Jesus in us. And it's attractive And it draws them towards Jesus. I wonder, the lady on the train, how different her story would be if she had met Christians like that. And I want to be one of those kind of Christians. Amen? Let's stand.